Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the political party. There's just a couple of days left before polling day on May the 6th. And today's guest is the leader of Plaid Cymru, Adam Price. Adam is a phenomenal talker in the very best Welsh tradition, a beautiful voice, real force, musical way of talking about politics, which I realise is quite cliché. But as you'll know from the Nick Robinson interview and others, and anyway, I just think sometimes there's a way some people sound that just makes you tune in a bit more. There are certain politicians you tune into and other politicians that you don't. And I first met Adam at a People's Vote rally in London a few years ago, and he really stood out. And I thought watching, if you live in Wales, and even if you don't, you may have watched the Welsh leaders debate the other night. I've been watching all of them. I watched all the Scottish ones. I watched the Welsh one. Because um, I love a good leaders debate. And the Scottish one's been really good. And the Welsh one was really good. Uh, and Adam really stood out. He's a really powerful communicator. Um, and he's great company, really good to talk to. Uh, and I think, well, I'll come on to this in a bit. Um, because I've got an email I need to share with you. So email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Any feedback at all about any guests, uh, any suggestions for any guests, and um, this thread that has emerged, unusual places you've seen politicians, which is slightly now become a a subtopic, really, or the the topic has merged, embarrassing moments with politicians. Um, Feel free to bring those in. Uh, Political, bring them in. Email them in, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Murray Bean has been in touch. Uh, and I said, uh, firstly, Murray, is a first-time voter on the 6th of May, which is very exciting, Murray. I, I never think, well, I love voting every time. Um, but 2001 was my first election, um, to the, uh, when, when Labour's second landslide. And I would have loved to have been able to vote in 97. I didn't go to Nebworth. I didn't go to Main Road. I was too young to vote in 97. I slightly missed out on uh, the excitement of my generation. But 2001 was very exciting. Anyway, so this is Murray's first. And if you're a first-time voter on Thursday, oh, my word. Enjoy it, relish it, and then, of course, you'll have a general election coming. Um, anyway, Murray says, for context, I was in primary six, around nine years old, and our class went on a visit to the Parliament at Holyrood. Now, I have to break off at this point. If you've never been to any of our parliamentary buildings in the UK, you have to go. I'm lucky enough to have been to all four, Westminster, Holyrood, the Senate, and Stormont. They are all, in their own way, spectacular buildings. In fact... This is a conversation that comes up with Adam, is the architecture of Westminster. Um, but no spoilers about where that goes. Anyway, just go because they're amazing. And if you can get tickets, usually you can easily just go into the public gallery if it's not one of the major question times. And even then, you can try and get tickets through your uh, MP, MSP, AM. Just try and go anyway. So Murray has been to, to Holyrood. 
which is great, and went at nine, which is even more great. Um, and he was shown around by our local MSP, Daniel Johnson of Scottish Labour. He said, to be fair to him, he's very good at answering questions like, how much money do you make? I love that a load of kids went to Parliament. And that was the first question. How much money are you on? Are you rich? Um, he says, now what happened was a couple of weeks later, I just finished school football training one Saturday morning. Me and my brothers and my dad went into a big supermarket to get a snack. Brilliant. While we were leaving, I saw a poster of Daniel Johnson because he was holding a surgery in the supermarket. I said to my dad in excitement, I know him, and pointed directly at the poster. However, little did I know, Daniel Johnson was sitting on his phone right under the poster. Just just after I said it, he looked up from his phone. I hid behind my dad in shame and embarrassment. I remember awkwardly walking off, still holding on to my dad for dear life. To this day, nearly six years later, I'm still emotionally scarred. Murray, you were telling this like it was 30 years ago. I'm still emotionally scarred from that excruciatingly embarrassing moment and still have flashbacks. I'm sure Daniel is a fine gentleman and has done a lot of good in the parliament. Oh, my word, Murray, that is indeed a very embarrassing story. So if you have ever embarrassed yourself in front of a politician, made a fool of yourself, I mean, obviously I have too many... (laughs) stories in that department which you can read in uh, the paperback version of politically homeless which is out in a few weeks um but email the show with your your embarrassing political stories political party podcast at gmail.com oh yes and of course just while i'm on news um the dates in the west end are selling fast the night on the 25th is completely sold out with Andrea Ledsom and Keir Starmer. There's still a few tickets left for Peter Mandelson and Saida Varsi. By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I realise sort of always presume that everyone listens to every episode. Well, I don't presume that. It's just that I get used to saying the same thing and then I think, oh, they'll be sick of hearing it. But of course, this could be your first episode. So firstly, welcome to your first ever episode. And secondly, I'm doing some live versions of the show. This show was created as a live show. These um, these sort of weekly and daily versions are, uh, well, they started in the general election. Anyway, the, the point is this, this really began life as a live show and the live recordings are very special. Um, and they're coming back in the West End of London on the 24th of May, the 25th of May and the 2nd of June. On the 24th of May, my guests are Saeed Avasi and Peter Mandelson, two phenomenal guests, really funny people. I can't wait for that. Tickets for that are flying out the door. The next night, the 25th, is already sold out. Um, that's Andrea Ledsom and Keir Starmer. And on the 2nd of June, it's Jess Phillips and Esther McVeigh. And tickets for that are going very quickly. So one of them has already sold out. The other two are going quick. You can get tickets for that. For those nights, I've put the link in the blurb or the show notes. So if you just click on wherever you listen to your podcasts, you get the link there. Or go to mattford.com slash live. So on to Adam Price, who, as I was saying at the start of the show, is a phenomenal communicator brilliant talker and has a real positivity about him. And I think that's something that um, I wouldn't say he was necessarily aware of it himself, but certainly talking about politics in a positive way and the the, the power of positive ideas is clearly something that, that he's into and the way he makes the case for, for, for Welsh independence and for voting for Plaid uh, is, is very much rooted in that. It's a very optimistic, hopeful view of the future. Now, whether you think, Welsh independence is a positive thing or not. It's kind of beside the point. It's just about the way that he makes the the case for it. Um, And uh, he just has such an optimistic way of talking about things, which is infectious. We talk about, of course, Thursday's looming polling day, but it's a wider discussion about 
Wales, the politics of Wales, the future of Wales, and where Wales should look to for, for, for its future and what its bonds and ties are with other parts of the UK. Uh, he, is, uh, he is great company, so enjoy Adam Price. Delighted to be joined by the leader of Clyde Cymru, Adam Price. Adam, there's just a few days left now before polling day. What is the most important message for you as a party to get across to the voters of Wales before Thursday? Well, Matt, it's really that we've got to we've got to put Wales on a new path, haven't we? I mean, we've had uh, 22 years really of one party leading a, a government, and where we look, uh, you know, across Wales and when we visit the communities that I've been to uh, the last few days. You can see you know, the, the depth of poverty and inequality that there is in Wales. One in three of our children, um, Matt, uh, living in poverty. One in four of our adults. You know, we are incredible, really, in uh, 21st century Wales. We've been talking about child hunger. We've got 70,000 families almost on housing waiting lists. Uh, none of those problems are inevitable. And that's, that's the kind of hopeful message at the heart, really, of our campaign, which people have been responding to. It's a message of hope and change. Uh, there, there, there's no problem in Wales that Wales cannot solve but with the first step is we've got to believe uh, that we can solve those problems by taking our future into our own hands obviously independence is something that that distinguishes you from from the other major parties in wales but are you also running to the left of labor or do you not think about it in those terms well yeah i i think it's it's difficult not to be to the left of the labor party at the moment as uh, as they they march to uh, you know to the center ground uh, uh, under keir starmer isn't it so uh yeah, I mean, we, we, I, I've seen the oscillation of the Labour Party over over many, many years. I mean, I joined Plaid Cymru in the 1980s, Matt, because uh, then we, 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 we had a Labour Party then that was kind of shuffling over to the centre ground, uh, you know, in order to win over uh, Middle England, I suppose. I, I, I don't know whether Peter Mandelson might have coined the term even, you know, who knows, perhaps he'll tell us. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, so again, a lot of the Labour voters in particular are coming over to Plaid uh, a lot of people saying on social media, telling their pride story um, that uh, they never thought they'd say this. You know, it's a, it, it comes as a surprise, I think, to people when they change their political affiliation, particularly in, in, in Wales, where you've got strong bonds of loyalty to the party. People coming over to pride, really enthused by a number of our, our, our key policies, which have really cut through, uh, which is the free school meals policy. So we want to introduce universal uh, free school meals. We'll do it in phases beginning with primary school. But but the first step is to ensure that every child living in poverty gets free school meals. Incredibly, there's about 70,000 children in Wales at the moment living in poverty, don't get free school meals. And the Labour, Labour government has been very, very resistant to that. And I, I think that's caused, you know, con uh, confusion, consternation am amongst their base. Similarly, you know, if, if you like, I mean, we we actually put uh, as the title of our manifesto, let's face the future together. You know, it, it's a reference to the, the, the title of the 1945 Labour, Labour manifesto. And, you know, at the heart of it, I suppose you could say is, is, is a kind of new cradle to the grave, sort of Welsh, well, Welsh well-being state, you might call it. So we're, we're uh, very much believers in universal free childcare at the beginning of uh, people's lives. Uh, and then we're introducing, you know, free social care uh, in creating a national health and care service. And yet the Labour Party has been saying on, on care. I mean, that was really resonated for a lot of people. I mean, many people 
in the same position as my own family. My father's got dementia. My mother in her 80s herself, you know, is caring for him. And yet the Labour Party is saying we've got to wait to see what the Conservative government in Westminster is going to do. I mean, sitting on the Dilnot Commission, haven't they, for years and years. Well, we say, look, you know, hell will freeze over uh, before the, the Conservative Party finds its social conscience. So, you know, do not subcontract your politics to them. I mean, that's the whole point of having a Senev, having de a democratic devolution, surely, is that we decide our own priorities based on our values. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think definitely a major... Uh, shift in this election is uh, working class voters coming over, Labour voters coming over to uh, to Plaid, and that's why we go into the final you know days with, with with a sense of surging support, not just for independence. I mean that, that's also part of this change. You've got fifty one percent of Labour voters, according to one opinion poll, supporting independence. But both on the national question, but also the social question, those Labour voters are increasingly more aligned with us. And do you think that if the Labour Party is perceived to be moving to the centre ground, that's better for you? So in the Corbyn years, did you find it harder than, say, I know we've only had a year and a half or, or just over a year of Keir Starmer, but as a, as a leader of the party, do you think actually Labour deserting that, that left flank is good for you? Yeah, well... As I said, I mean, it's certainly why I came into the party, and I think that's been true for successive, you know, waves of uh, of Plaid activists. Um, and I think, yeah, during the Corbyn period, and particularly the 2017 election, which I think was the high watermark, uh, you could say, um, you had the, you know, the youth quake, um, uh, young people voting, you know, at least according to some analyses, in, in unprecedented numbers, inspired very, very, by a very, very hopeful message of transformational change. Well, that vote now is very much, um, you know, behind the surge in support for independence in Wales. And it, it, it's, it's, it's essentially the same vision, but with a different vehicle, isn't it? In, independence as a means of, of creating that massive social and economic change, which is inspiring to people of all generations, but it is particularly, uh, I think, energising young voters that in this election are coming over to Plaid uh, because of that. Plaid had never done as well as you have in that first election in 1999. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I, I think... I would, I'm a, I'm a sort of uh, um, a glass half full kind of person. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to frame yeah, it in such a no, negative no. way. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, and it's interesting, actually. There are, there are all kinds of parallels with 1999. Was, I'm, I'm old enough to remember it. So um, <laughs> uh, this is, I think this is the first time that votes will be counted on the day following the election uh, since 1999. It happened then as well. So that, 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 it'll be interesting to see whether that parallel is repeated in the results. You, you're right. Um, that was the high watermark for us in terms of our uh, number of seats. I, I think the reason why we did well at that election was there was a kind of a, um, there was a spirit of self confidence. It was it was the dawn of, of, a, of a new democratic era, and and you know everything was up in the air, wasn't it? In, in a positive sense, and people had a sense of writing you know, writing a new future together. And I, if that is the spirit uh, which people feel going into the polling stations uh, this this Thursday, then I think we're going to do very well. I mean, I, th I think if, it's, if, if the election is about the future, then I think we will do well. But certainly that backdrop of rising self-confidence as a nation 
you know, is very, very positive for us. And that's what drove our, our, our success in 1999. And when you look at the map of Wales and see where you do well and where other parties do well, Labour do well in the north and the south in those big population centres and, and Plaid does well along that, that west coast flank of Wales. Now, some people might look at that map and go, well, that makes sense. That's the, that's the furthest point away from England. But is there another reason why you're so, you're so successful on that West Coast, but perhaps haven't been able to make inroads? I know you made inroads in the South as well, but haven't quite been able to chip into those other areas. Yeah, the, the, the pattern of support geographically, of course, is, is, um, is a bit different between uh, the Westminster elections uh, traditionally and uh, the, the Senate elections. Though, interestingly, the last few opinion polls have seen more of a convergence. We've just had our highest ever recorded opinion poll rating in the Westminster elections. And But I suppose there are two areas where we have consistently done well regionally within Wales. So you're right, the western seaboard of Wales, which is rural and more Welsh-speaking, uh, then you have the post-industrial area, so the the, the, the former uh, you know coalfield of the South Wales Valleys. Um, we've done less well in you could urban Wales, of, uh, effectively the the, the cities of, uh, of South Wales coast and and, uh, and the northeast. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think that I, I I sense that that's changing uh, again as a result of the of the growth of the independence movement. And so you what you've got is a lot of urban. Younger voters coming into the 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 uh, you know the, the, this new pro uh, pro independence movement, and that's changing the sort of the geography uh, of our, of our uh, support. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the challenge really for for, for us is to be a pan Wales movement. And Wales is a small country, but um, there, there's often a lot of talk about uh, the differences, you know, between north and south, east west. Uh, Welsh-speaking, English-speaking, rural, rural and industrial and urban. And I think that, the, you know, the, the challenge and the prize for us is can we knit this community of communities together and create a kind of a unifying narrative for the nation? And I, I think that what's interesting about the, um, I suppose, the culture, the language, the story of the new independence movement, if you, if you like, is that um, much of that... Um, much of that focus on uh, the divergence within Wales has gone away. And I, I think, uh, you know, Sean Jobbins, uh, one of the leaders of the independence movement, uh, you know, has talked about all the different, the myriad different ways to be Welsh, the diversity of Wales that we should celebrate as part of the independence movement. And I, I think that's part of the reason uh, for its success. And obviously, you know, that's, that's clearly part of what we're trying to achieve in this election. And I, I was up in the northeast. Uh, of Wales just in the last few days, and you can see, you know, you feel it in in, in Wrexham, for example, those Labour voters coming over to Plaid. So I think that we might get a very, very different geography of uh, political support for our for our, for our party, um, you know, as we see it emerge on Friday. You talk about bringing diverse communities together that live in different geographical areas. You know, this is the this is the thing that has animated for want of a better word, unionists in the UK. How do you bring together Scotland, Northern Ireland, England and Wales? How do you um, make people feel part of a whole? And obviously you're doing it at a Welsh level. People are trying to do that at a UK level. So do you feel that those differences within Wales um, aren't too big, but when you expand that to the rest of the island, actually they are? Yeah, I, I think the problem with um, with 
the UK Union is Westminster. I, I think you know it's the structures of this um, of this political system, which is uh, you know it's a hugely centralizing uh, force it, politically, and, and then it's mirrored, of course, in the centralization of economic and financial, and you could say cultural power. With you know the, the UK is a uniquely centralized uh, uh, unitary state. And, you know, I, I speak with some experiences, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, kind of walked those corridors uh, and, you know, even the architecture Matt, of the place, you know, it, it's um, it's something like uh, something uh, an Iron Bevan uh, wrote uh, of in uh, first few pages of his book In Place of Fear, where he talks about the very architecture of the place, which he, you know, alludes to the, um, you know, the vaulted roofs of Westminster Hall and, and uh you know, this sort of crenellated uh, architecture, which, you know, kind of neo-Gothic style. It's very much, they took a page out of the book of the cathedral builders. Now, the cathedral builders were trying to pull off a mental trick, trying to make you feel small, you know, against the greatness of God. And the, the, the architects of Westminster trying to do exactly the same thing, but they're trying to make you feel small against the power of the state. And because it's all a confidence trick, you know, so... Um, yeah, everything seems to be timeless and ancient, uh, you know, above the surface. But of course, actually, what's happening is the machinery is working really, really hard to maintain the status quo beneath the surface. You know, I mean, that's literally I mean, it's a metaphor It's literally true. I think they had to reinvent this boiler underneath Westminster when they built it in order to kind of vent. The, 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 the damn place. But uh, so, you know, I, I, I think that's the, the, the problem. And of course, many of the people that that end up as MPs, they're perfectly at home in that uh, uh, in that kind of uh, architecture, of course, because, you know, I don't know, the prep schools and the public schools uh, they've been to, uh, et cetera, and even uh, some of the universities, it's the same architecture, you know. For, you, you, you plant a working class uh, MP from Wales or from the north of, you know, you feel like a fish out of water. And what happens, what, what happens to you under those circumstances? As Bevan says, you try and fit in. It's a natural human psychology. You know, you, you, I don't know, you, you, you iron out your vowels, you know, so they can understand your accent or whatever. Uh, you, even, you even start to maybe want to walk in a certain way. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's a strange atmosphere. And, you know, unless you're very, very careful, you can lose uh, your entire political identity in, in, in that place. Um, and... Uh, so, yeah, nine years was enough for me. I did my national service. Um, uh, uh, there's something to be said for term limits. I had to get out. I had to get out to maintain my, uh, my political sanity. I admire those who can, you know, carry on doing important work defending against the worst excesses of the Westminster system for longer. Uh, but, you know, it's rotten to the core. I mean, it, it, it's literally rotten to the core, as we know, because there's a £12 billion uh, bill coming our way, isn't it, to... Uh, uh, to renovate uh, the, the, the building. I'm all in favour of, you know, keeping it as a museum, but, uh, you know, that's the problem, is it, it sucks the radicalism, it sucks the, 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 the new ideas. New ideas are, are seen like a, a kind of foreign body in Westminster, you know, kind of the, ant the antibodies of uh, the status quo, you know, kill them as soon as they can. That's the problem, and that will never change. It won't change for Wales... That's why independence is the answer to us. But by the way, I mean, I've got family in, in England, in my mother's English. And, you know, 
we need to have an English progressive political project as well, and a project for the North uh, um, and for other communities that have been left behind. The Westminster system will never deliver uh, political change for, for, for any part of the, of the UK. And I, I think one of the, the best things that can happen to progressive politics in England is actually Scottish independence and Welsh independence, because it forces then, I, I think, Right to the fore, right to the center of English discussion as well. You know what are we going to do there? So I, I don't see it as as in any way uh, being inward looking. I'm an outward look, uh, looking uh, in terms of my politics, and uh, we want to be uh, you know partners with 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 people in, in England. But we can do that better, I think, by getting rid of Westminster, becoming an independent nation, and then working together uh, as equal partners. There's so many points there. I, I never considered the architectural case for Welsh independence. But... I, I didn't take a breath there, man. I, <laughs> I think we touched a nerve. <laughs> when you talk about Bevan, people will say, well, this guy didn't compromise. He was at Westminster and he founded the NHS. You know, he wasn't uh, cowed in any way. His radicalism was left undimmed. He's one of the great titans of Welsh and British politics. He got a lot done. Yeah, I mean, you know, and absolutely, I think that, Certainly, uh, that 1945 uh, government is is something that that uh, you know I, I think inspires inspires me. And you know, there, the, uh, Eddie Butler, uh, who um, would be known to some people as a rugby commentator, uh, gave a, a, an incredible speech uh, at uh, the last Yes rally uh, for, for the independence movement in in Merthyr. Where he actually talks about that moment, and my, my, picking my, my parents' generation, I come from a Labour voting family, and you know that that Britain is, is something that I, I, you know, I think still resonates for certainly for their generation, for my generation as well. So you know, I was born in a council house. My father uh, was uh, was a miner, you know, uh, uh, until the, Thatcher came along in the miners' strike. You know, having a very decent wage, working for the National Coal Board. Uh, you know, a classical Welsh working class story. All three of us, my two brothers and myself, went to university, got a full grant. Yeah. So, all of that sense of the future being better than the past. Yeah. Um, a fairly basic idea, you know, kind of mo a modest demand, you can say now, you know. Um, but that was, that was right at the heart of the, of the, of the vision. But you know what? Um, I, I think, um, unfortunately, the, 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 the inherent conservatism. Uh, of uh, the deep structure, if you if you like, of of, of the UK and, and its its political and economic establishment, eventually it it may it, it it took them several decades, didn't it? It took them until the 1980s, but eventually they killed it. Um, you know, they not only killed it, they they completely dismantled it. I mean, Thatcher actually talked about dismantling. I mean, she even wanted to dismantle the BBC. That project has taken. Taking a little bit longer, though, you know, with I don't know Paul Dacre on the way to Ofcom, probably they'll they'll complete that as well, uh, and 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 that's it. I mean, and and many of um, you know the writers of uh, I, I think actually Ralph Miliband. Uh, uh, um, uh, I I I, um, I remember going up to David Miliband. One of the first things I did when I got elected as an MP, I, w I marched up to David Miliband and uh, uh, and I said uh, I was you know when I I saw I I, I uh, was a big admirer of your father. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't think we spoke much after that, you know, but, uh, but you know, his analysis and, and all those writers, people like Raymond Williams, who ended up as a member of Plaid Cymru, um, you know, the, the essence of what they're saying was, look, there's something about the UK 
that actually uh, means that you know the conservatism uh, of of um, of the British state of the UK is written into the fabric somehow. You know, we didn't even ha properly have a democratic revolution in in, in the UK, uh, and that and that sort of that persistence, yeah, of those structures of power. Some of them economics. Some of them cultural. Um, they 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 mean that um, you know social and economic progress, even where you do uh, make some, actually uh, is vulnerable. is is vulnerable to the basic uh, dominance of conservative politics. Which why exp explains you know why we've had two thirds of the, uh, uh, two for the two thirds of the time we've had conservative governments. You know in in a country which is deep uh, uh, well in a nation state which is deeply riven by poverty and inequality. And for us in Wales, you know, and, and for us in the independence movement, it's a simple matter of a democratic deficit then, because we, we've never voted in Wales for a uh, conservative government. We, we've got conservative parties uh, repeat, you know, return time after time. And look at the power of, of the right-wing press. Look at the cultural power of conservatism within the UK. And I don't think you're going to break that unless you actually... Um, you know, break up the Westminster system uh, as it is. And then that forces us, doesn't it, in our different nations to actually think again and redesign a, a different future. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Isn't just a, a more simple explanation that the Labour Party, for large parts of its existence has turned its back on the people and hasn't listened to them. And so many of Britain's elections can be explained, not through a deeply held love of the Conservative Party, but by simply being driven away by people like Jeremy Corbyn and people like Michael Foote, people like Ed Miliband. 
that when the Labour Party chooses electable leaders, they get whacking great majorities. If you look at the majorities Tony Blair got, if you look at how well Attlee did, Wilson won four elections, that actually Britain is a, a progressive centre-left country, loves the NHS above any other public institution. But when the Labour Party turns its back, that's what happens. Well, I suppose this is the Roy Jenkins uh, hypothesis, isn't it? That, that, that progressive realignment uh, would deliver um, uh, uh, actually the opposite, uh, uh, which w- would be then a... a um, ah, right, there we are. <laughs> By pure uh, chance, I'm reading A Life at the Centre at the moment. What are the odds yeah. of that? <laughs> uh, talk of a man who rounded out his, his Welsh accent. I mean... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think there's a there's a there's a there's a story, isn't there, about uh, uh, somebody mentioning him, uh, mentioning Roy Jenkins, the young Roy Jenkins, then to Bevan and 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 saying, well, I, the only thing is, I, I think that he's a bit lazy, uh, and Bevan quipped back saying, well, God, how can you call, call him lazy? Anybody uh, anybody with an accent like that from, comes from Abersach and has obviously put in the work, uh, but um, yeah, I mean. That was the, the the heart, of course, of the, the 1997 project, wasn't it? And, uh, of course, the uh, the realignment was, there was supposedly, um, I don't know, it wasn't Granita, that, that deal, was it? It must have been a different... Uh, <laughs> uh, Paddy Ashton and, uh, um, and Blair, it wasn't delivered because, of course, then they didn't, Labour Party didn't feel they it was necessary. But, yeah, I... I, I it, it 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 might have seemed like a time, didn't it, during the 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 heyday of New Labour, that that new dominance uh, of a, a sort of a, a, a progressive centre left future had arrived, and look where we are now. And, and so I I would I I would I would put the contrary hypothesis that there is something about the the deep structure. Um, I mean, Raymond Williams even talked about the structure of feeling, which is something to do with, you know, it's almost below the level of ordinary or formal politics. There's something about about the the stories that are told. Uh, you know, every uh, every elite in every society or uh, every dominant ideology tells stories about who we are, and if you think about the dominant stories of of Britishness, they're not stories that really. Uh, um, th- that really align with centre-left progressive values, aren't they? I mean, and, and now you know we have a, a government which is, in its in its ideas of global Britain and uh, post-Brexit Britain, are, are, are looking back to recreating in some shape or form some kind of neo-imperial fantasy. Uh, and I, I certainly don't recognise um... anything anything in that 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 actually um, you know appeals to me. I'm not sure. I mean, I voted Remain. We met at the People's Vote Rally in London. I I mean, I hear people say this. (laughs) I've never voted Conservative in my life. I think Brexit's a disaster. I kind of don't see the whole... um, I know for some supporters of Brexit, they'll wave the Union Jack and they'll sing Rule Britannia and stuff. I don't really feel like this government is kind of trying to do that. Now, maybe I'm just not watching the same news as everyone else, but... It, it it kind of doesn't feel to me like an empire thing. Maybe I'm maybe my antenna's slightly off. Well, I I, I think there was a little a, a bit of, a, of, a, of an odd to it, wasn't there, in the discussion about um, about actually 
Britain's um, Britain's actual empire in in the recent report about race uh, wasn't there and uh, and an inabil- inability it seems or you know s- seeming unwillingness to acknowledge uh, the dark uh, uh, um, uh, past in terms of um, you know and, and in terms of British the British Empire and its role in slavery and colonialism um, so uh, you know. But I, I think more particularly, it's about Brit- maintaining Britain's uh, aspiration to be a world power. You know, I mean, whereas really, I mean, shouldn't the focus be on what I talked about uh, at the, you know, the start about the fact that we have we have child poverty. You know, in in this you know actually very very uh, rich country, and you know, including in, including Wales. You know, the, we, we, this is an in, a, a, an advanced industrial. Uh, post-industrial economy, and yet um, we're not able to meet the basic needs of our people. And, and, and yet, you know, certainly in terms of the, I, yeah, I, I, th- I think the, the the vision that is often promulgated is uh, as much to do with, I think, some kind of hangover of craving, um, you know, craving a, a superpower status for, 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 for Britain and wanting to project that rather than actually dealing with the problems of, you know, real people in their daily lives. Isn't the reality of the UK actually that it's far more progressive than its critics or indeed its defenders would, would let on in that it redistributes huge amounts of power, money and opportunity from London to and the southeast of England all over the UK? Um, that we pool and share resources, that this is a, a union of countries on a tiny little island that come together in a sense of solidarity. Now, we might not tell it in that way. We might not have the romantic overtones that Welsh nationalism and that Scottish nationalism has. It's a very sort of quiet, almost under the radar British way of doing it. But that money opportunity is redistributed. That helps create jobs. That helps fund the NHS. That helps fund schools, police officers and all sorts of things. If you take Wales out of that, out of a union that you financially benefit from, how do you do, how do you solve child poverty when you start off with a huge deficit, when you have to set up a central bank, when you have to do, set up all these things, a mass currency reserves? I mean, even in the, you know, we talk about Scottish independence. For, for Wales, it'd be even worse. That you would have to, you know, you'd be looking at, what, 10 or 15 years of austerity from day one. I don't understand how you square the progressive circle. Okay. Well, let's unpack. Let's unpack uh, two of the elements there. So, uh, is the is the UK um, a great uh, redistribution machine? Um, this is actually um, this is the view of, of um, people who would describe themselves as progressive unionists. I mean, Mark Mark Drickford, uh, you know, speaks uh, with conviction. Uh, um, he is a conviction unionist. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a, a pragmatic or a transactional unionist. He actually believes in the United Kingdom, uh, precisely because, uh, uh, as he, uh, as he sees it, it is about redistributing wealth in the UK. Well, it doesn't do a pretty, it doesn't do a very good job of that. I mean, the, the fact speaks for themselves, um, the levels of uh, poverty and inequality w- within Wales, the, the fact that, uh, Wales is, you know, uh, sort of second or third at the moment in terms of uh, the wage league table in the UK, the household income league table, the productivity uh, league table, and that, and that has been persistently the case. Yeah, so the UK is one of the you know objectively it is one of the most unequal states 
uh, anywhere in 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 in, in Western Europe, uh, uh, certainly, in, um, and within the OECD. Uh, and what it effectively you've got this uh, centripetal centripetal force, you know, sort of uh, sucking wealth, talent, people uh, into uh, into London and the southeast, uh, and uh, and that is that has persisted over generation by generation. So 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 the UK does a very very bad job of of, of redistributing wealth, and in terms of Wales's own uh, position as a, as, a, as a nation, then actually. Uh, when we compare it with small independent countries uh, of similar size across the world, you know, one of the things, and I, this is one of the things I studied at um, at Harvard. I'm an economist by by, by training. Is um, you see that actually some of the great success stories uh, and uh, of the last uh, 50 years um, have been small independent countries. In fact, if you if you measure uh, large countries, you know. Uh, by uh, GDP is an, is, is, is an imperfect measure of, of economic well-being, but it's a good way of comparing uh, uh, like with uh, you know, uh, countries with countries because there's a standard data set. If you compare growth rates, you know, it's no contest. Um, you know, small uh, countries in, in, in Europe over you know, 50 years have done better uh, than larger countries. And there are all kinds of theories as to why that would be the case. Smaller countries are more agile. Um, they're, they're also more cohesive, you know, so information flows uh, flows uh, more quickly, etc. But they're it's not becoming system. independent from the UK, are they? This is the problem, is that the UK is quite unique in the, in the benefits of membership. And those independent countries aren't breaking away from a union that financially benefits oh. them. Yeah, no, no, but we've we've got. Um, I mean, economists talk talk about it, natural experiments sometimes, where you can actually see. Well, uh, here are uh, here's an example of, of that happening. Of course, we have the uh, we have this natural experiment on the island of Ireland, don't we? With one part of the island that uh, did become independent, um, you know, uh, initially with, with limited form, but then 1949, I think, uh, becoming a fully independent state, and then we've got the part of, of the island of Ireland that remained. Uh, part of the UK, which is the most economically successful by far and away, the Republic of Ireland. The Republic is off the scale, but that's a low tax. I mean, this is this is the sort of conservative policies you apparently disagree with. Well, you know, uh, okay, and then we could we, then we can talk. We, uh, we can look at the Scandinavian countries, like, you know, uh, which you know by by and large, smaller uh, independent countries in Europe tend to have um, actually more social democratic uh, uh, policies because they tend to be more. Uh, have higher levels of social solidarity within them. So, so by and large, uh, Scandinavian countries are really interesting. The small uh, Scandinavian countries because they are both more economically dynamic, more entrepreneurial, and at the same time they have better welfare states. So these these, these two things that in British politics are you know being seen as binary opposites. Actually, you combine them two in those two. And you know we we we'd like to be a Denmark. You know we 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 you know outside of the EU then. Well, okay, we'd like to be in Norway in the co- in the context of the uh, of, of that. Then we'd like to be in Norway because which is in in the in the in the medium term. Then being a member of EFTA gives you more frictionless trade, while you're able to at the same time have a have a have a, have a single market within the island of Britain. But but yes, I mean when we look at those uh, those small independent countries, um, you know the the success of those is is is, is very marked compared to larger states like the UK, which are, not only have they uh, struggled in terms of delivering uh, a relative uh, uh, poor economic performance to Wales and to uh, um, other parts of the UK outside London, southeast. Actually, the UK's the UK's economic performance as a whole 
has been very, very poor by international standards. So the, you know, the UK is not a, a successful economy in, uh, in, in that sense. And, you know, we think we'll do a better job of it because uh, ultimately what you get as an independent country is, is you get a whole array then of levers and tools uh, which allow you to address those long-term reasons for economic underperformance. There's something in e economics called convergence theory, Matt, which is based basically saying, look, it's not natural for you to underperform over the long run. Over the long run, what happens is that economies eventually fix themselves. They fix the, the constraints which are holding them back. And, and it, there'll be different constraints in different places. You know, it could be that you're underinvesting in probably the greatest driver of economic success, which is human capital, you know, the skills and knowledge of your people. We've certainly been doing that in Wales uh, over, the, over the last few years. You fix that. And of course, what happens then is the economy uh, starts to grow to its natural level of uh, performance. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the reality of the Welsh economy is there's nothing, there's nothing inevitable about higher levels of poverty in Wales. It's simply because as a nation, we don't have those, those tools and levers that an independent country has in order to solve its problems. I wonder what lessons you can learn from the SNP and from the Yes Movement in Scotland for good and bad. I mean, there's obviously a lot that they've done to make the case for Scottish independence, depending on what happens on Thursday. They're arguably on the brink of it. Um, but what mistakes do you think they've made? What things would you do? Or more to the point, what things have they done that you wouldn't do? You're drawing me at the very, uh, you know, dangerous territory. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't presume to uh, to preach uh, to any other, um, other other nation about what they they should do. And in fact, I, well, I think one of the one of the great um, important lessons of, of, of Scotland, I think, is the fact that contrary to Wales, where Wales is basically more or less exactly where we were relative to the UK in terms of income per capita. So we're pretty much exactly where we were in 1999. So the devolution dividend, we do like a nice alliteration in Wales. Um, you know, economically, there are plenty, of, you know, there have been some good things that, that, that uh, we've, we've, we've achieved as a nation since 1999. But in terms of the economy, we are no further forward, relatively speaking, whereas they actually in Scotland, they have, you know, uh, they have uh, seen uh, an improvement in their relative position to the, to the rest of the UK. And, you know, that is, that is, uh, you know that is uh, um, I, I, the base of, of everything. I, I'm I'm uh, I, I've read my Raymond Williams, so that, so obviously his Marxism has uh, rubbed off on me. The the economy is the base of everything, and I think um, that probably the fact that the, the Scottish economy has uh, improved over this period has fed through into greater cultural and political self confidence. Uh, and you know that has to be uh, the focus uh, for me. I, I've said uh, Matt that. It's not just that my, my entire kind of adult life, I, I suppose, has been, uh, as an economist, has been thinking about the Welsh economy. But I've said as a first minister, I will take responsibility for that because everything else you want to achieve in terms of public services and you know, creating a decent uh, society, that flows from, uh, from the economy. So, uh, you know, they, they uh, particularly since the SNP, I, the SNP government, I think in 2007, they injected dynamism, new energy, new ideas, um, you know, and no government's going to get everything right. But there was there, there was a can-do attitude and a, a level of creativity and competence. You know, that's a sweet spot. Maybe it's a sweet spot that uh, Labour leadership haven't got right at different times. You know, you, you've got to have both. Uh, you can't just do inspiration. You've got to, you've got to 
actually also inspire confidence as well as have a raft of, of, of exciting uh, transformational ideas. But if you can have that sweet spot uh, of, uh, of innovation and ideas, plus then the competence. And I think that's really what the SNP government, I think even their detractors would say, look, you know, the, 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 this is a government has been impressive, uh, both in terms of, you know, its program, but also the way that they've delivered it, you know, plenty of good ideas, by the way, that the Welsh Labour government came up with, um, you know, it's very difficult um, to disagree with most of the strategy documents. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, we used to talk of there being an outside half factory in Wales. Sometimes I think, no, there's a, there's a government strategy factory just churning them out, you know, kind of week by week. Great strategy, great ideas, but you've got to deliver them and competency, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, one of the things that we'll do is, we're going to create, you know, we, we need a national school of government to create a kind of uh, a, a new, uh, an, a, a kind of new uh, wave, a new generation of public service leaders, because, you know, uh, and th that was part of, I think, the success of the 1945 Labour government, wasn't it? It wasn't just that there was these few people at the apex, you know, godlike, you know, with a vision. There was an incredible sense and culture shared all the way down all the different tiers of government. Uh, a, a very, very unifying vision, but also, um, you know, new talent brought into government and, and also a sense, a sense of entrepreneurialism. Maybe the, the experience of the Second World War uh, had created, um, you know, a, a new generation of leaders at every level. So that's one of the things that we, we've got to do. And yeah, when I looked at to, to Scotland, it's that, it's that combination of competence and creativity, which is impressive. Isn't that just a story the SNP is telling itself? Because actually, apart from independence, they haven't innovated in the NHS at all. They haven't in innovated in education, and Scotland has slid down the, the league tables. This once revered Scottish education system is now the SNP have taken it out of international uh, comparative leagues because they were, well, <laughs> you can draw your own conclusions about why they've done that. They actually got one big idea, which is independence, and by their own admission, they've taken their eye off the ball when it comes to things like drug deaths and all sorts of other things. The reality, actually is that they're seen as perhaps the most competent party, but they haven't innovated at all when it comes to the public sector. And as for their economy, they get more per head funding than the rest of the UK. And uh, they've, they've been able to borrow a lot as a member of the UK. They get more spending per head. All they've done is manage the status quo. Well, I think that, you know, uh, you look, for example, at um, their level of infrastructure investment, even though they, they, they have um, a borrowing cap uh, placed upon them uh, by the UK government. It's, it's, it's a higher rate than, than, than Wales. Um, but have they just accepted that? I mean, that's what basically the Welsh government have said. Well, you know, we, want, we, we can only borrow 150 million a year. In fact, they, they, hit, they haven't even spent they haven't even spent that and claimed that in most years, which is which is bizarre. Uh, when there's so many, so much infrastructure uh, need, but you know the, what the Scottish government uh, did, they they came up with a plan B, and so they didn't just accept the the, the borrowing constraints. They realised that after after skills, after human capital, um, you know, according to the OECD, the next biggest determinant of economic success is infrastructure, and so what they did is they they, they created a, a plan B, uh, you know, revenue uh, funded investment as they as they call it, basically using their revenue budget. Uh, to um, to pay for infrastructure investment programs uh, through the Scottish Futures Trust, etc. So, so yeah, I, 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 it's no surprise I don't quite share your analysis. And and you know, the, the, um, 
their level of progress in terms of renewables. I mean, you know, compared to Wales and Scotland, we're both wet and windy countries. You know, we're we're we're, we're surrounded. On, on three sides by uh, by sea, uh, like them, and but they did a far better job of realizing that economic potential. You know, Wales and Scotland, we, we you could say we've got an unfair advantage in terms of renewable energy, particularly marine energy. But they've been much better at being strategic and thinking, right? Okay, here's here's an opportunity for us. Let's go after it. Isn't there a, a, a problem at the heart of Welsh and, and Scottish independence that both of you talk about wanting to be like Scandinavian countries and severing the links of this inherently conservative union and everything, when actually Scotland, Wales and England have so much in common, more in common than they do with any Scandinavian country, more than they do with America or any European country. And what you're trying to do actually is is kind of drive a, a wedge and create divisions between three really close neighbours, a, a family, really, when actually the, the public perhaps don't feel that way. The Welsh public don't look to Norway and to Denmark. They go, do you quite like England? We like going to Bristol. Why do you want to make it harder? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that um, we we don't just need we a new Wales. We need a new Britain. I, I, but we can achieve that together, Adam. Why, why yeah, can't we do that together? Yeah, 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 we can achieve it together as equal partners, and we we can do that better as independent nations. But I, I you know, I I I I agree that there are so many important um, bonds and, and and ties between the nations of this island, and I I think that we do need to have um, uh, an architecture, you know, of cooperation. Yeah, so there'll be so many things that we want to work together on, right? But, but actually, people say that already exists. We've got the architecture. Why, why dismantle it? Yeah, because I mean, as I said, you know, don't get don't get me back on architecture. No, <laughs> Westminster, Westminster. I like Westminster. the architecture of Westminster, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I went to state school. I think it's beautiful. It's good for the tourists, but it's not good for a functioning democracy, right? Okay. <laughs> Um, look and and move move the capital of England to the you know to somewhere me, more nearer the geographic centre. No, well, I mean stuff like that. You go, why everyone knows it's London? People like going to London. Why why do you have, to have look, these sort of tokenistic gesture stuff when people go? We know it's in London. We don't have a problem with it. We don't want to move the capital for crying out loud. We'd rather sort out our NHS. Well, you know, I, 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 because where the minds of, of those policymakers are, um, it, it is actually does have an effect. You know, they're, they're, they're steeped in, 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 um, in a particular culture. And if you, you've got to change that somehow or other, but you know, I mean, it, it's, it's up to the people of England, right? Okay, where the capital should be, right? I did actually do West is the whole debate arguing that uh, it should be moved to, uh, to Liverpool. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I, got a, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of support for that. I, I, in, <laughs> in Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> but look, look um, yes, we've got to create uh, uh, ways of working together on the, on this island. But Westminster is the block uh, of that, right? We've got to bypass that. We've got to we've got to start with something new. And I think, yeah, we've got to create a new Britain as well. And and uh, and um, I we talked about in our Independence Commission report about creating a sort of uh, a, a confederalism uh, where we work together. But as independent countries, so you've got things like uh, the Benelux countries. Of course, they've got the Benelux Union. They've got you've got the Nordic uh, Council, where those those Nordic uh, countries actually work together in a formal way. Yeah. So yeah, pooling sovereignty in that way, where you're where you're an independent country, absolutely, and we want to do that. But the 
problem at the moment is we got a Westminster Parliament. It's an unitary state. It believes it's it, it not only it actually explicitly says we are supreme. The supremacy, but you know, this is like it's not they just they believe it. They're they're frightened of saying they actually say we are supreme and we're going to go to the Supreme Court and we're going to you know kind of defeat you. They did they're doing it repeatedly, aren't they, with bills for the Scottish. Uh, parliament over enshrining the the uh, you know children's rights into Scottish law. My goodness gracious me, uh, shouldn't that be up to the people of Scotland? And similarly uh, with Wales as well. So it's never going to work where you have uh, this attitude of um, Westminster supremacism and also you know a the sheer fact, of course, when you know it's very very difficult uh, to have a uh, union. Uh, of well, four constituent nations, and one of them is, 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 has got eighty-five percent of the population. You're always going to be outvoted. Better to create that cooperation, but do it on the basis of equal uh, partners as independent com- uh, countries coming together, and then we can work together. And you, you mentioned England- <laughs> you mentioned earlier um, your time at Harvard. You, you took a bit of time out from politics to, to study over there. At that point. Were you maybe at a crossroads? Did you think, I'm going to just do this for a bit, see how it feels, and I might not go back into politics? Um, I, I definitely needed some time out, kind of basically to, to, to refresh my thinking. I mean, it, you know, I, I, when you're in the sort of political trenches at Westminster, you're, you're using up all your knowledge capital. You, you don't really add to it. I mean, you, you're okay, there's, there's experience in terms of the... Um, you know, the art of politics, for want of a better term. Uh, but I, I felt, you know, um, you know, I needed to go back and, 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 and study uh, Kennedy School and, you know, soak up ideas. Um, yeah, I, I always had at the back of my mind uh, that I'd like to go back uh, into politics in the Senate um, and, and spend some time out. I, I worked after uh, Kennedy School at Nestor, working with... Um, Jeff Mulgan uh, uh, was uh, uh, part of the Labour government as the head of the uh, strategy unit there. I was the chief executive at the time, so working on innovation in, in public services, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that, I, I wanted to go back into politics with, with some ideas, with a bank of ideas, you know, sort of looking around the world of global best practice. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, so, you know, at the Kennedy School at the time, uh, Mark Moore, the guy who came up with the idea of public value so how, how can you create an entrepreneurial state um people like ricardo hausman uh, an economist who's sort of brought brought in ideas about how you do economic development um if you're an underperforming economy so fantastically useful but I, yeah i i remember um uh, i was at i was at a uh, an occupy was, occupy was uh, happening at the time when i was at, at uh, in boston and i was at a protest uh and then one of my lecturers, Marshall Gans, uh, who's a sort of famous figure from the civil rights movement in the 1960s, et cetera, uh, and, uh, and a former teacher of, of Obama. And he, he saw me in the crowd. It was quite embarrassing at the time. And, uh, you know, in the mid, mid, mid-sentence, mid-speech, he said, Adam, it's time to go back to Wales. <laughs> <laughs> you meant that in a nice way. Yeah, in the nice way. It's like, you know, your, your job is not to be protesting inequality here. Get back to Wales now. And then carried on. So I thought, well, fair enough then. Well, on, 
On that note, Adam, I shall let you get back to the campaign trail and, and not keep you anymore. It's been such a pleasure. It'd be great to get you back on after Thursday. We, we'll see what happens in the results. Look forward to it. Yeah, and, and, and have a proper detailed chat about Welsh independence and what's happening with it. And it, and it, may, be, it may be more on the table in a few days' time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. There, there's, uh, you know, uh, there's no more powerful uh, force in politics than momentum. And I think uh, there's definitely a, a surge in support happening. I'm sure Jeremy course. Corbyn would agree. <laughs> With a small M, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a universal, it's an universal idea. Adam, thank you so much. There you go, Adam Price, brilliant company. Great to talk to him. I'd love to get him back on because, and I know this is a cliche and I say it with so many guests, but really, and I I really, really mean it with Adam. And I always mean it when I say it, but there was so much more to talk about. Um, And obviously he gives such great long answers, um, which is welcome. This is the whole point of the show is that politicians get more time to give more detail and then listeners uh, get get more of a sense of them and, and a better better case put um but i do there's so much more i wanted to get onto that that we didn't get onto um but it's great company and and i think the essence the spirit of the show was really there in that you can talk about these things um in good nature and enjoy them as a as a kind of discussion point now obviously Adam is not here just to enjoy a discussion he's here to try and get wales as an independent state um so we will see on Thursday, the 6th of May, just a couple of days' time, if he is successful in, in moving that debate forward and what happens. Plied and Labour have been in coalition a couple of times before. Um, so uh, there's one more episode before, well, that I'll put out on polling day. as a polling day treat for you all, because obviously you'll all be getting up at the crack of dawn to go out leafleting and everything, um, or indeed be leafleted. That's the t- two types of people in the world, people who hand out leaflets, people who get leafleted. Um, there must be a third group. In fact, depending on where you live, you're definitely in the third group of people who basically never get a leaflet. Oh, to be you. Oh, to be that lucky group. I'm not sure that is true. Am I spreading anti-politics propaganda on this podcast? There must be some people who never get them. Although sometimes, you know, people would say that in defense of leafleters. They'd say, you never get, you never put a leaflet through my door. And I'd say, I I think I leafleted this street. Oh, yeah, well, apart from that. You go, well, okay. So maybe that third group doesn't exist in the UK. Let's hope it doesn't. Um, Anyway. Make sure you vote on Thursday. If you haven't sent your postal vote form back yet, you can hand it in at a polling station. So make sure you do that if you haven't done that. And if you are registered to vote, please go down to your polling station and vote um, wherever you live uh, in Britain and, and make your voice heard. It's very exciting. And of course, the, the outcomes are, are thrilling to see what happens. Does Sadiq Khan uh, win another term as Mayor of London? Does he do it on first preference votes alone? Um, what happens in Scotland? What happens in Wales? What happens with our uh, Metro mayors? Do, do Labour take back? Well, not take back. Do the Conservatives hold the West Midlands or does Liam Byrne become Mayor of the West Midlands? So all these interesting um, results to watch on Thursday, including what happens to Adam Price and Plaid in Wales. And after polling day, I'll do a few episodes where we look in detail at the results and what happened in, in, in various different parts of the UK. So thank you for downloading this. Um, thank you for uh, all the lovely reviews you, you put on iTunes. Please keep doing that because if you leave a five-star review and say nice things, it pushes the show up the charts and it means that more people can enjoy this wonderful festival of democracy and, and this podcast in particular. So 
I'll leave you to it. It's polling week, which I still feel a buzz about, even though I don't work in politics anymore. And I've already sent my postal vote back. I think it's the results. I love looking at the results and the changes or the lack of change or whatever. I just uh, love all the graphs and the polls and the analysis and everything. So I will aim to um, make this podcast part of that and and do some in-depth conversations with particular figures in different parts of the UK after Thursday. But I'm just repeating myself now. So I'm going to go. I'm going to let you get on with this week, this wonderful week. And um, I'll see you soon. Oh, and don't forget, tickets for those shows, apart from the 25th, which is already sold out, available at mattford.com slash live. Ta-ra. 